Welcome to the Beach Grove United Methodist Church Podcast, where you can hear our Sunday morning sermons in audio form and take them wherever you go. This morning, we finish up our series, Members of the Body, by exploring the famous love passage, 1 Corinthians 13, and we unpack this true nature of love as Paul calls the Corinthian community to, and so too does he call us to embody as well. And so join us for this final podcast in this worship series. A reminder that our services are available in their entirety on our YouTube channel, which is linked in the podcast notes. And we would love it if you would subscribe to the podcast so that new sermons come into your feed as soon as they are available. You can subscribe on your favorite podcast app, and if you are feeling really generous, we would love it if you would leave us a rating and review that helps us to grow our audience. Lastly, find us on Facebook and Instagram to follow along with all the fun things happening at Beach Grove, whether you live in Suffolk, Virginia or not. We hope you enjoy this week's message, and please don't forget to share it with others. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church, chapter 13, verses 1 through 13. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all my possessions and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own ways It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a spot child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror, dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, and the greatest of these, is love. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts be holy and pleasing to you, that through your word for us this day, we would know more about you and more about your love for us and our nature of community. Amen. So community has been the name of the game for the past month now. We have talked about what it means to covenant together as community. We talked about ourselves and the gifts that we bring into community by knowing ourselves and the ways in which God blesses us. 
And then last week, we talked about how we bring all of those individual spiritual gifts, all those individual people together. We build that puzzle, that body of community, and exemplify the body of Christ as Paul imagines our communal work together. However, one of the most important things we haven't covered in any of this is the motivations behind doing what we do and doing it with the community that we exist within. Here's the thing. Here's something that I truly believe. We can do all the right things, but but if we don't have the right spiritual quality grounding us, then we leave ourselves open to a corruptible system that seeks to take advantage of what we are offering. And that is where Paul goes in this famous, almost infamous love passage. To make a bold interpretation here at the top of my sermon, Paul wants the hearers in this discourse to know that love needs to be the spiritual grounding quality, not just of our faith, but of our communities, of all the work that we do, lest we become the very thing that drove Paul to write the letter to the Corinthian community in the first place. This passage before us embodies what it means to ground ourselves ultimately in who God is. Now, as we dive into this passage, we see that this passage is broken into three sections. We have three sections. The first section is verses 1 through 3. Then we have verses 4 through 7 and then 8 through 13. And the first section really kicks off in this naming of love as a driving motivator, not only of our faith, but in every aspect of our existence. And most especially as we consider the nature in which we practice community together. Paul writes, if I speak in the tongues of mortals and angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not love, I am nothing. If I give all my possessions and I hand over my body so that I may boast but do not love, I gain nothing. You see, I love these three verses because in these three verses, Paul is basically laying for us a nature in which love is an act of religious devotion that grounds and centers us on God's ultimate will for us and creation. And encapsulated in those last handful of words, right? But I don't, if I don't love, I gain nothing. You know, I just, I love the way that Eugene Peterson puts it in the message translation of scripture. He says, you know, if I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but don't love, I am nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all of his mysteries and making everything plain as day. And if I have faith to say to a mountain, jump and it jumps, but I don't love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. And this is the line I love the best. So no matter what I say, no matter what I believe and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. 
I think it highlights the way in which even our most purest intentions to do the right thing can be corruptible if we don't have the right grounding behind it. It's why we have sayings in our society like money can't buy happiness or absolute power corrupts absolutely. Right? Sayings like these impress upon us this nature that if we do not have something that centrally grounds us to that which is good, and in the case of our Christian faith, we name that as this ever-abiding love and grace of God, then we leave ourselves vulnerable to the demons and evils of injustice in our society. When we forget love, we can forget the image of God that we were created in. And in doing so, treat each other as though some are less valuable in the kingdom than others. We can forget that God is creator of, heavens and the, of the heavens and the earth and that they deserve to be cared for as much as we deserve to care for ourselves. And when we forget what love even looks like, and we can manipulate the very nature of love, we create a demon of love itself. So, if we name that love is an act of religious devotion that grounds and undergirds everything that we are called to do, then it begs the question, what is the true nature of love? Or, or even more basically, what is love? And for that answer, I move us into the second part of this passage, right? This is the, probably the part of the passage that many of us are familiar with. It's probably one that, that most of us might be able to quote, maybe not word for word, but we at least get the gist of what's going on. We hear it most often at, at weddings, right? And, but, but fun fact, Paul was not addressing the love between married persons or, or persons in loving uh, relationships, in fact, uh, when I preach this passage at weddings, I often uh, will remind folks of this fact, but, but I'll point to the love between persons entering into a marital covenant as one example of this love that Paul talks about, an example that we can look to, right? But Paul's not talking about this love between spouses or love between two people who are in that kind of relationship. No, Paul Paul is talking about the love between persons in community. They're talking about the love that we have for each other, the love that we have for those whom we serve, the love that exists within our community, not just our church community, but in the community of creation. You see, Paul is addressing how the Corinthian church relates to those within its bounds and with even those whom they are reaching out to. And I think in doing so, offers one of the most cohesive definitions of love in Scripture. I mean, hear it for yourself. Here, again, I've already read it once today, but let me read it again for us. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own ways. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. You know, I truly believe, I've long thought this for a long time, 
That whatever the definition in Webster's or Oxford Dictionary, we just, for, for love, we just, we just throw that away. I'm sending letters to Webster and, and Oxford right now. We throw whatever definition of love they have in, in their dictionaries away, and we put in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. I mean, Paul hits every single point of what it means to define how we are called to love as those created in the image of an ultimately loving God. It's not that each of these things is a checklist, but rather it offers a blueprint of that which undergirds our entire life and existence. It sets in our minds not just an example of love, but but even more so an evaluative measure of how we live our lives. Right, If we process our days and come to the conclusion that maybe we have missed a part of love that is laid out in this passage, it should cause us to pause and reflect on what that means for our own spiritual growth. I almost, I almost sometimes wish that Paul, before that word love, put the word perfect so that we could really understand it that much more. That perfect love that is the result of God's sanctifying grace, right? That perfect love is patient. That perfect love is kind. That perfect love, it's not envious or boastful or rude, right? But perfect love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. Perfect love endures all things. That manner of Christian perfection we hope to achieve as disciples doing the kingdom work, it's not something to say that this is perfect and so it is unachievable. It is perfect and so it is what we always strive for. I strive to be patient, friends, and then I get stuck in the grocery store line for like 30 minutes and I just want to get home so I can eat dinner. Perfect love is kind. But I think sometimes we can feel irritated It's not always going to be perfect. But you know what? When we see this definition of love, we can hope and continue to grow in the nature of love that Paul lays out for us in this passage because it's ever enduring. As Paul wraps up the context by which love becomes such an important part of our faith and that it should be such a deeply embedded part, not just of our individual faith, but as our communal faith. As Paul closes this passage, in these last six verses, in this third section, he finalizes his definition of love, gives it an ever-enduring purpose in the narrative of salvation. Why? Because love never ends. Right there, those three words at the beginning of verse 8 tell us all we need to know about salvation and about our role in it. And Paul goes on to speak to the fragility of things of this earth. He writes, but as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. This is Paul's testimony. All these things will end. The money, the power, the words, all of this will be gone. But on that day, and this is the assurance, right? This is the assurance. This is the thing we never have to question or wonder about. That on that day, when those things cease, Love will still be there. God's love for us, our love for God, our love for one another. You know, I find it so amazing that oftentimes, despite our faults, 
right? When we look back and reflect on where we have been, right, we see the pain. We know it's there, right? We acknowledge it. We give it its breath. But what changes us? What do we focus on? What brings us to be the people we are today? I truly believe that it's in those times of pain and heartache and suffering that ultimately we would find love. Love for God, love from others. They stand out as expressions of that which means the most in the world, the ultimate point of salvation, the existence in the perfection of love, right? And now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, and the greatest, the greatest of these is love. You see, our nature as a community of faith, is ultimately defined and even remembered for how we exemplified this love and grace of God. It does not ground us. If it does not ground us, then I fear we may be going down a path of no return, where we not only distort the image of love in the world, but where we have distorted the image of God as well. And this is what is at stake when we practice community. This is why community is such an important part in our faith. We come together, we named it at the beginning of this series, we come together because we have experienced love. We've experienced God's love. That's what brought us here. And we go forth into the world to help others experience that same love. And we cannot do that if we spend all our time focused on who has power, who has authority, who has the best spiritual gifts, right? That's why Paul puts these chapters together. Because the greatest thing we can do is love. And when we live in community together, when we recognize our gifts, when we put together that puzzle and we work together and we are grounded in that sense of spirituality and love, then we truly seek to embody the community that God calls us to be. The greatest thing we can do is love. And so how are you latching on to Paul's definition of love? And living it, truly living it each and every day. Amen.